Welcome to the SAR Fellowship Podcast. My name is James and I'm the pastor here. This podcast is where our Friday morning sermons go, but unfortunately last week, Friday the 21st of January, the audio for our recording uh, wasn't the best, so I'm going to take the time now to kind of reteach or read through uh, my sermon notes from Friday. Obviously, it's not quite the same, uh, you know, me sitting and re- reading through, <laughs> reteaching through notes. Uh, but a few people have asked, uh, will this be available? Because it's a topic of teaching about divorce. Uh, so I just thought it was worth the time uh, to sit and to re-record it. So hopefully uh, this is useful to you. So we've kind of hit pause on 1 Corinthians just for a week uh, to talk about divorce, bigger picture. And we said last week that divorce is so divisive. You know, literally, yes, it divides families and divides people. But there's there's so much collateral damage from a divorce. You know, children's, friends, churches, everybody connected to a divorce often loses something. And, And usually everybody's got a pretty strong opinion about divorce that is usually colored by or informed by uh, a very personal experience. Most people, um, we said on Friday, have known somebody personally that's been a divorced. We said last week as well that you know, divorce is so serious because marriage is so serious. And marriage is so serious because it is a wonderful example of God, the church, and you. So if you weren't with us last week, Friday the 14th, go ahead. You can listen to that podcast, watch that sermon online. Uh, and hear about what Paul says about divorce uh, in 1 Corinthians 7 in those particular circumstances. But divorce as a topic, as a thing, is a really good example of why it's important to have a big, broad view of Scripture. Why we see the Bible as one continuous narrative. Why we pay attention to the whole counsel of Scripture, not just a couple of verses here and there. Because if we don't look at the big picture, we're not going to get the big picture. Divorce is such a good example of this. It's so deep, it's so complex, it's very complicated. There are no simple answers, no blanket statements to make about divorce. Um, It is, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, a matter that is surrounded by many difficulties. So single English verses from your favourite Bible translation don't give us the full counsel of God about divorce. It's very admirable when people say, look, my Bible says this, 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 so that's what I think. But we've got to remember that the Bible wasn't written in contemporary English. And your favorite Bible translation, the translators, are all working to a target. They're working with a goal. They've got their own theological favorites, their own theological thoughts and opinions. So it's really, really important that we take a big, broad view. So what we're going to do in our usual time of 30, 35 minutes is try to get a big picture view of divorce. Uh, If this is something that you do want to go much deeper into, please do get in touch with me. So divorce, what does the Old Covenant teach? Why? What were people in Jesus' day being taught about divorce? And then what does Jesus say about divorce in light of all of this? And then finally, what do we do? with all of this information and truth about divorce. So first then, for a very clear statement about divorce, Deuteronomy 24 is our first stop. If you're kind of new to navigating the Bible, it's quite near the beginning, it's a few books in. 
And we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that if a man marries a woman and she does not please him because he has found something indecent in her, then he may draw up a divorce document, give it to her, and evict her from his house. When she has left him, she may go and become someone else's wife. So in this place and at this time, divorce was becoming widespread. So divorce is becoming widespread and rampant. And so the law comes in to say, look, divorce shouldn't be done lightly. It shouldn't be easy to break a marriage. It should never be capricious. Well, I just, I just don't want to be married anymore. And maybe you've got friends, colleagues, co-workers who talk about serving a God who is capricious. Well, I've just changed my mind. This is how it's going to be. But that's not how the God of the Bible, the living God, is capricious. Well, I just, I'm just going to change my mind. It's going to be like this now. And so the law comes in to say, no, divorce shouldn't be like that. There needs to be a genuine reason. And we read in Deuteronomy 24 that it is something indecent. There is a reason. There needs to be a reason for a divorce. Now, if you look this word up, the precise meaning is going to be quite hard to nail down. You could quite accurately, or we could quite accurately Read here uh, something impure, something shameful, something dishonorable. So very, very simply, Deuteronomy 24 says that divorce had to happen for a reason. It's here to stop frivolous and free divorce. It's here to permit divorce in the right circumstances, but to protect those who otherwise could be just kicked out of home and out of lives for no good reason. And the way things happened in the context of Deuteronomy, in this place and at that time, there needed to be a couple of witnesses. So there needs to be agreement that this is a genuine reason for a divorce. The law is here to protect those who previously could have been divorced for no good reason. So divorce was rampant, the law comes in and says, no, we're not going to live like that. Divorce is part of the law, not to promote it, but to regulate it. There needs to be genuine, agreed-upon reasons by multiple people. You're not going to be like everybody else around you that chops and changes whenever they feel like it. Divorce is there in the law, not to promote it, but to permit it in the right circumstances. Now, maybe you already know what Jesus came along and said about divorce. And so you're surprised not to see that as the reason here. Notice with me, Deuteronomy 24 doesn't say that adultery, sexual immorality, is the reason for divorce. We read something indecent, impure, shameful, dishonorable. Now, why is that? That's because the consequence for adultery, engaging in sexual contact with someone other than your husband or wife, was death. So divorce wasn't really on the table if adultery had taken place, because the adulterer would be dead. They're not going to be divorced from this marriage covenant bond. They're going to be divorced from life. They're going to be cut off from life. They're going to be dead. The punishment for adultery was so much worse than a divorce. So the marriage was already ended. 
literally, when the adulterer was then stoned to death, but also when they slept with somebody else. The marriage bond is already broken there. So that's why sexual immorality, adultery, isn't mentioned here as a reason for divorce. So what we read in Deuteronomy 24 was there to stop free and frivolous divorce, to show people, to remind people, hey, look, marriage is meant to last. You can't just toss it away if you feel like it. It's not the intention of marriage. But over time, as is often the case, because people are people and hearts are hard, this morphed and changed into see. You can divorce if you want as long as you give a divorce document. The reason why divorce was permitted had turned into a reason how divorce needed to be done, what you need to do to get divorced. So the reason why it turned into a reason, the method of how to do it. Draw up a divorce document and evict her. And when we pick and choose words from passages out of books, out of sections of Bible, out of a covenant, we can manipulate the message, can't we? You can genuinely say, hey, look, Deuteronomy 24 says that we can get divorced because I can draw up a document and give it to you and we're good. But that's legalistic, it's box ticking, that's covering yourself. That's a, a very selfish way of thinking. I'm good because I've given you the document. Then enter Jesus, who comes and flips this legalistic way of looking at the law around. Because why is always more important than what? Jesus illustrated this so many times with so many different things. But he says, you know, why? Why are you divorcing? You know, papers, policies, procedures, you got all your papers in order, you got your great. Why? Why are you doing it? Is it important that you've got all your papers and whatnot in order if you're going to get divorced? Absolutely. They're going to protect you further down the line from being accused of adultery, which is what Deuteronomy 24 was doing. But why? Why are you doing this? Papers, policies, procedures are great, but they are secondary to why. What about the people involved? Why are you divorcing this person? Why is more important than what? But in that legal way of thinking, well, I've ticked the box, so I'm good. I'm now free of all consequences because I've followed the law and I've done some stuff. But actually, no. Jesus comes along and says, you haven't. Because the law was there to protect people. To curb frivolous and free divorces. And, and you're using it to your own advantage. Misusing and abusing. And now people are suffering, which is not what the law was supposed to do. So where is the heart of God in all this? Is divorce all right if we just get all the papers correct? I'm going to move forward then to some new covenant thinking. Jesus is now on the scene and among many things that he did, he corrected false teaching and misuse of the law. So we're going to go forward in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. We're now about 75% of the way through the book if you're new to navigating. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Jesus is challenged, not for the first time. We read in Matthew 19 verse 3, some Pharisees came to him in order to test him. Now already in Matthew 5, Jesus has been through a big list of stuff 
many ways in which the teachers of the law, these Pharisees, were misleading people. And here, they're back for more. They said to him, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any cause? Their thinking is, what can we get away with and still be classed as, quote, quote, good people? Is it lawful? Are we allowed to divorce a wife for any cause? Jesus says, verse 4, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So the question is asked of Jesus, can we, basically, can we get divorced because we want to? Is it lawful? What can we get away with by the letter of the law and still be good people? Jesus says, no, that's not what marriage is about. The two become one in a marriage relationship. First and foremost, marriage is not a legal thing. They are no longer two, but one flesh. But that's not what the Pharisees wanted to hear. That didn't fit with how they wanted to live and what they were teaching. So they continue. In verse 7 now of Matthew 19, they said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? Why were we commanded, told, instructed to do this? Jesus says, Moses permitted you to do this. He permitted you. He allowed you. He left it over to you to make a good and godly decision. Moses permitted you to do this because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning, it was not this way. Let's just pause here for a moment. The people, big picture, are being told and taught from Deuteronomy, from Scripture, that as long as you give that certificate, you're good. As long as there is paperwork in place, divorce is always okay. Moses commanded us to do this is what they've been told and taught. People have taken what was there to permit and protect, and it's been misused and abused. As long as there's paperwork, divorce is always okay. So the Pharisees then, here in Matthew, the keepers, the teachers of the law, keep pointing back to it, part of it, and say, look, we are allowed to do this. We were commanded to do this. Look at these words. Draw up a divorce document. Evict her. Jesus says, no. You might have heard it said. You've been told and taught that. You can just get divorced if you feel like it. But actually, it was not permitted, not prescribed. It was, it was conceded. It wasn't commanded. Jesus reaffirms that marriage is meant to be permanent, and he will, in, in a moment, clarify the genuine reasons when divorce is permitted in the eyes of God that lines up beautifully with Deuteronomy 24. So Jesus goes back before the law. He gets to the heart of the matter, the original design and intention for marriage. And it was always supposed to be like this. He says, the heart behind marriage is not a legal agreement. It's permanence. It shouldn't be broken for, any, for no valid reason. Paperwork is all secondary. Marriage is two people joining themselves in holy matrimony. A God-ordained union where two become one flesh. So Jesus confirms here 
what we read in Deuteronomy 24, that where God's people, believers, are in question, because, you know, as we read in 1 Corinthians 5, what business is it of ours to judge those people outside the church, those who are not professing to be living a life as a follower of Jesus? It's not our business to go around judging those people. Where believers are in question, there is only one permissible reason for divorce. We read in Deuteronomy 24, it's something indecent. Jesus says here in Matthew 19, verse 9, he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. Jesus' message in Matthew is the same as the message in Deuteronomy. There needs to be a valid reason. Nothing frivolous, nothing invented, nothing that you just feel like. His message in Matthew is the same as the message in Deuteronomy. There needs to be a valid reason. So what is that reason? When is divorce permitted in the eyes of God? Well, Jesus here uses the same word. Matthew records the same word that we've talked about a few times recently whilst we've been working through 1 Corinthians. Pornea. Immorality. So what does this word mean? This is, seems like this feels like quite a key question, doesn't it? Whoever divorces his wife except for immorality marries another, commits adultery. So what does this word porneia, immorality, mean? What does it mean? What is Jesus talking about? When is it permissible in the eyes of God for believers to divorce? Well, very simply, when there is porneia in that marriage. So what does that word mean? Well, it can mean lots of things. It's a big catch-all term, so to speak. It can mean adultery, any kind of sexual activity with someone other than your spouse. It can mean sexual contact outside of God's design for sexual contact. One woman, one man in the context of a committed, divinely ordained marriage. It can mean unfaithfulness, spiritually, physically, sexually, emotionally. That's where Paul comes in last week with 1 Corinthians 7. It can be used to talk about idolatry. This is where things get really interesting. It can be used to talk about idolatry, having something else as number one in your life where God should be. Now, the way that God's people 2,000 years ago, Jesus' primary audience here, the audience, the teaching being corrected, the way that the Jews of the day spoke of their relationship with God was as a marriage. The language, the context, the examples that they used, how do you relate to God? Well, it's like a marriage. And so to them, to the people Jesus is speaking to, porneia, immorality, meant putting into a relationship anything else where number one should be. Now that can work vertically. You put something else, number one in your life, where God should be. But it can also work horizontally. You put something in your life as number one, where your husband or wife should be. The two becoming one flesh. And so this is literally on earth as in heaven. You can commit idolatry vertically with your relationship with God, but also horizontally in your relationship 
to your spouse. So if your spouse has abandoned you for another, simply doesn't see you as a believing spouse should do, if you are not their primary earthly relationship, their number one horizontal relationship, that can be described accurately and properly as idolatry, immorality, as pornea. This word, in the context of marriage, very, very simply means when one person breaks that covenant bond with another. Jesus is really clear here. Nothing breaks a marriage but pornea. And pornea can mean a, a few things because there are, there are many ways to break a marriage. There are no blanket <laughs> solutions. There are no quick answers. There are no easy fixes. There are many ways to break a marriage. When the truth of two coming together to be one flesh is broken, the marriage is broken. You can break that in many ways. There are many ways to use the word pornea, immorality, properly. The one flesh that marriage has united has been separated. One has gone and united themselves elsewhere to another person, to a pursuit. The one flesh of marriage has been broken. All the reasons that are often talked about as, as, as grounds for divorce, for Christians, you know, abuse, abandonment, adultery, they can all fit into this term of what it means in relationships. And so if you are divorced and you've been told that it is only adultery, only when somebody physically has sex with somebody else, that's the only reason why God would ever permit your divorce, then please take comfort from knowing that there is more to it than that, scripturally speaking. It is a deeper, more complex, more complicated topic than that. There are no easy and quick answers to divorce. It's got to be case by case, constantly weighed against the truth of scripture. If there has been pornea of any kind in your marriage, Divorce is permitted in the eyes of God. We should say, though, it's never promoted. It's only ever permitted. It's never commanded. It's only ever conceded. It's never prescribed, like, you've got to do this. But it's only ever permitted, you know, all right. If there's porn air in this relationship, if somebody has broken that marriage bond, it's all right. It is a last resort. It's not your first thought. But you are not in sin if this has happened to you. Jesus then is reaffirming and confirming the validity of Deuteronomy 24 as a guide for divorce. Something indecent has happened in this marriage. There is immorality. There is pornea. The one flesh has been broken. And this is a valid ground for divorce. Not because you just feel like it. Not because you've got a piece of paper that somebody else has signed and stamped and attested to. Because marriage for the believer is a union of two becoming one. And so when one person forsakes that truth and one abandons that truth, when one joins themselves to another, the one flesh has been broken and with it, the marriage, big picture. And so the certificate of divorce is then just is secondary. It's a piece of paper that very simply just writes up, confirms what you already know, what has already been done. 
that one flesh has been separated back into two. God's view of the gift of marriage is permanence. It's his gift to define after all, isn't it? It's his design. One man, one woman, permanently and indissolubly wed together for their earthly lives. Now, when you break that with pornea, it's broken. And so papers, certificates are all secondary to the breaking of a marriage. And so before lawyers are involved, before papers are drawn up, before children are fought over, God's heart is already broken because the marriage is already broken. The two that became one flesh in holy matrimony are now two again. What a marriage is in his eyes is already broken before you stand before a judge. Marriage is a wonderful picture of how God feels about you, how much he loves you, how committed he is to you, whether you're married right now or not. And so divorce is totally against his nature and his character. It grieves him when unions, covenants, bonds of fellowship and friendship are broken. So what do we do with this then? Well, we really need to know the big picture about divorce. Single verses quoted at people, thrown at people in times of trial, often do more harm than good. We need to know what God really says and thinks about divorce and, and why. We need to know and understand the situations in which divorce is permitted. Because before long, somebody's going to ask you. It's going to come up in conversation. People are going to know that you're a believer. They're going to know you go to church. And they're going to want the Christian view. And that's going to come from you. So please, tell them what scripture says. Tell them what God says. How God feels about marriage and divorce. Don't, don't tell them what you think. How you personally feel about divorce. Give them solid scriptural truth don't parrot your favorite translations phrase or two about divorce potentially making a difficult situation worse explain the heart behind christian marriage the bond the union the two becoming one the forgiveness the reconciliation the restoration the gospel at work in christian marriages tell them why divorce is such a big deal but tell them when it is all right when it is okay and when it is not all right in the eyes of God, your believing brothers and sisters who sadly encounter divorce are going to need your reassurance, your encouragement. They're going to need you to put God's word into their world at a time when their world is so painful, ugly, and heartbreaking. They're going to need to know how great the grace and forgiveness of the Lord is. That whilst he is as heartbroken as them, that their marriage union has been broken, that he still loves them not 1% less and he is still there for them. And as are you, as their friend. They're going to need to know that they are not bound for the rest of their earthly life to a life of guilt and shame because they're divorced. They're going to need to know that divorce is not the unforgivable sin. They're going to need to know that whether they are married or single, this doesn't change how much God loves them. And that as their friend, as their Christian, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving friend, you still love them too. 
They're going to need to know that should their divorce stand on biblical and scriptural grounds, that they can be married again if God wills that for them. They're going to need to know that divorcees are not excluded from the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. Really, really simply, they're going to need you. They're going to need your faith in Jesus as Lord, Savior, Redeemer, Rescuer, Healer of broken hearts and lives. They're going to need God's Spirit who lives in you at what will be quite possibly the lowest point of their lives to date. The big picture will help them. The big picture will clarify what is so difficult for them. The big picture that God loves them, that he's a God of forgiveness, of healing, of restoration, of reconciliation. That truth, those truths are no less true in the pain and separation of divorce. On October 26, 1862, Charles Spurgeon said this, which is a great encouragement for us to end on. And this is just as true for those who are divorced as not. He said, as believers, we are sons and daughters of God. And we know that he cannot expel us from his heart. May God deliver us from the infamous bondage of the doctrine which makes men fear that God may be unfaithful, that Christ may divorce his own spouse that he may let the members of his own body perish, that he may die for them and yet not save them. If there be any truth taught us in Scripture, it is that the children of God cannot perish. So may this be a great encouragement to you as you minister to those who are working through, thinking through, struggling through divorce. Well, God bless you and keep you. I look forward to seeing you online or in person for worship soon.